What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another edition of NFL University, the show where we educate you on all things across the National Football League landscape. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead. Pride NFL University is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. We've officially reached the NFL postseason. Wildcard weekend stretches all the way to Monday night this year. The Colts totally fell apart against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And now they have to take a long, hard look at where they are moving forward with Carson Wentz. The Chargers and Raiders almost tie, and it could have been the greatest tie in NFL history. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. Now we have to watch Big Ben on wildcard weekend take on the Kansas City Chiefs. So let's get into it. I need to welcome in Kyle Posey of Niners Nation and Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. And I want to start with the tie that could have been between the Raiders and Chargers. Uh, the Raiders survive in advance. They will take on the Bengals on Saturday in the wild card round. And of course, this game started up the debates about Brandon Staley. And you've got Rex Ryan going on ESPN talking about what a joke he is and how other circles in the NFL don't respect him and his way of coaching, even though fourth down percentages are as high as they've ever been across the entire league. So it's not just Brandon Staley. He's going for these fourth down conversions, but I just want to get you guys initial thoughts on Tygate and the incredible regular season finale between these two football teams. Brandon Staley doing something knuckleheaded at the end of the game to take away from an earlier failed fourth down conversion. What a genius he is, huh? Um, they've been going for it for, on fourth down all year. I don't think it was a surprise that they went for it earlier in the game. They didn't get it, but they've been stealing possessions all year. I thought that, honestly, they were very fortunate to be in that game to begin with, just the way that they had played. Their right tackle did not have a prayer against Max Crosby. The fact that Herbert was able to convert would seem like every fourth down ever, and it was definitely Herbert. It was not the receivers. Um, just kind of speaks to his talent, but I think the Chargers, again, were just fortunate to be in that situation. As far as Staley goes and you know the timeout at the end of the game, I don't think it was the right decision to call a timeout for whatever reason. You know, you've heard you've heard the argument, the counters, but based on what I've seen from the Chargers, they could have called 12 timeouts. It would not have been okay because they have not stopped the run at any point this season. So what made him think, you know, resetting them, getting everybody together would have made a difference. I, I don't know if it was a personnel issue, but with three seconds left, I think that type of chaos would have bode well for them, would bode well for them, and I would have just let it play, man. Just kind of rolled the dice. But didn't work out that way. Still, there because, again, you know, Herbert converted a bunch. They were able to get it uh, down the field. Tie game. Should have been a tie game. But now, as you said, Steelers are in the playoffs, and, like, that is the worst possible outcome from Sunday. But, uh, wait, Justice, what did you think about that whole Staley decision? Um, because it, it sucks that we have to talk about that because there are so many other parts of the game that were fascinating. So when it happened live, it felt like he was breaking the prisoner's dilemma, right? That that was the vibe of it. It was, hey, you're still playing at the end of this half. You're going to use your timeouts now. That's very weird because we've already passed the two-minute mark. You should have been using your timeouts at the beginning of drive. If you're trying to save time, you only save four seconds. What the heck is this? And then they, they get the 10-yard run. Um, obviously, that changes kind of the mindset of, are we going for the tie or are we going for the win here, right? Um, so I, I do think that the biggest thing that changed was they couldn't stop the run. And that's been the issue for this team all season. We've been banging the drum for do whatever you need to do to get Jordan Davis, 99, who just won that national championship 
uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs. Get him on this team. It'll make a the world first of round? difference. Yes, in the first round, just because he's a nose tackle. Shameful that you would even say that, KP. They, they Watch Jerry Tillery play football and say that defensive tackles joking. should not be used in the first round. Um, the, the bigger thing to me, though, for this discourse, because I think that was just kind of an odd situation, and when you take a step back, you look at it overall and you say, all right, that was weird, but, like, the timeout didn't really matter that much, right? It, the, the fact that they give up the big run after the timeout is really what changes that game. The the fourth and three or whatever from, like, the 20-yard line that everyone wants to talk about, and that's really what people are saying when they're saying, you know, no one respects Brandon Staley, all this stuff, which complete horse crap. If, if you're thinking of it from a process-based standpoint, it's no different than what Harbaugh does. No different. None. Um. What people miss is that analytics, for the most part, are close to suggestions. And that, that's what people should really take. And I know there's people in the analytics community who are going to say that, and they're going to say, that that's horse crap. Like, these are all the excuses that people use against us to, like, not use the data. And that's why, like, people, th- this is an underserved uh, service to the league, right? I'm not saying that you shouldn't go for it on fourth and three in that situation. I understand. I've seen the numbers. I get it. I promise. We made sheets for the XFL people um, to, to suggest head coaches. What the analytics don't say is run an inside run with Austin Eckler into the teeth of the defense when you can't block anyone. It doesn't say that at all. That, that was a terrible play call. I have much more issues with the play call than I do with the, the call to go for it. And like you said, Storm Morton, Goodness gracious, he was one of our guys in the XFL. Um, loved uh, that he got another shot in the league, but uh, having him on an island with Max Crosby every single play is a, a pretty big mismatch. So the game-tying drive where they did convert, I don't know, I don't remember how many fourth downs it was. A billion fourth downs, fourth and tens. Over the course of the season, why not put the ball in that guy's hands no matter what the down and distance is, no matter if it's fourth and one? No matter if it's fourth and 12, if you want to go for it, why not put the ball into your best player's hands? I feel like that should be the topic at hand as opposed to the result because it's easy to get down on a play when it doesn't work. But if you just die, go down swinging with your best player, it would be tough to be mad at the result. And you know, you know, at the end of the day, that's what you want. You want to put the ball in your best player's hands. But we always forget that part of the uh, that part of the process when we're talking about this whole situation. And yeah, that gets under my skin too. I mean, that, that charges fourth down. Like if you're asking the Raiders what they wanted to see on that, it's inside run, it. run by Austin Eckler. Not, not just run it, it just inside run by a small running back. Right. Right. So I don't know. I had more issues with the play calling than I did with the decisions to go for it. And honestly, for, for as much as like up in arms as you know, some of these analytics people are, like they're winning the war, you know. Like, often too. Yeah, it's like, you, there's issues with communication. I think pretty often, um, but you, they're winning the war, and I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. Like you're going to see more teams take that more aggressive approach. Like fourth and three across the board, you should go for it. Basically, like that's kind of how this league is setting up now. And Steve, you've watched a lot of Raiders. I think it's okay to give them credit, too. I think Carr played well. I think Carr made some big throws down the stretch when they needed to. And they don't have a great supporting cast. Like, Renfo shouldn't be your guy. But they go to him, and he makes it work. They're doing this without Waller. And I think that should be noted as well. So it's okay to give the other team props as well. Do you think Carr has done enough to win a playoff game? No, uh, I, well, like, I mean, what you just mentioned, and that's what really killed the Raiders down the stretch was like, you know, everything that team went through here, but early in the season when their offense was looking explosive and they were putting up points and Derek Carr was like off to a really nice start. Henry Ruggs was a huge part of that. And, you know, Henry Ruggs wasn't necessarily putting up these huge stat games, but it's his explosiveness and the way he could get down the field and Derek Carr actually throwing it to him down the field that kind of opened up their offense and a, a healthy Darren Waller. It goes a long way too. And he's been banged up throughout the entire second half of the season. But I do think the Raiders deserve a lot of credit in this one and everything that they've gone through to get into the playoffs. 
I don't think that they're going to go anywhere. I don't think they're going to do anything. That pass rush is nice, but I, I just don't have a lot of faith in them doing it consistently on offense. I understand Renfro has been fantastic, but I, I, I question if they'll be able to keep up with the Bengals uh, when they take them on on wildcard weekend. And as far as the chargers go, I agree with the fourth down stuff. Uh, I think you should always go for it. I, I do think some of that stuff can be a little bit more situational than uh, we want it to be sometimes. I think the play calling is, I, I agree with what justice said is I think that's what we have to really question here because watching this game, I felt like at times like the chargers, you know, you're the right side of your offensive lines, a problem. And you know that you've got huge issues in terms of speed with your wide receivers. Like they've struggled with those guys being explosive downfield all season long, but Justin Herbert makes incredible throws down the field and he is an elite NFL level quarterback. I just think that they made questionable decisions like as far as their play calling. And I think it wound up hurting them in this game and it wound up hurting them over the last month of the season. I mean, they had a, a brutal loss to who was it? The Houston Texans. Like you, you can't lose to that football team down the stretch. And they just weren't good in that game. So the Chargers, I think, are a team that's on the rise. And, you know, Brandon Staley spoke with the media today, and he was like, the first thing we're doing is addressing the interior of our defensive line this offseason <laughs> because they know it. it's garbage. It's been garbage all season long, and they've, they've allowed every team they've played pretty much to just run the football all over them. Josh Jacobs, I think, had the most rushing yards in his NFL career in that game. Like they, it's just been a problem for them all season long. So they've got to address that. And I think they're moving in the right direction. And I think the chargers are going to be a fun team to watch for the next several years. And they have a ton of money. Like right. they have like $70 million in, in cap space coming up. I mean, we, uh, what, what's lost in this a lot because of Justin Herbert, frankly, being like, you know, having all these passing touchdowns, breaking all those records in you know, the first two seasons of his career is that they're still year one of a rebuild, right? Um, the one thing I will say about the Raiders, you know, can they win a playoff game? Here's the counterpoint. The Cincinnati Bengals haven't won a playoff game in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't won a game since 1990. Um, the Raiders have the fourth longest streak, 2002, since they've won a playoff game. I that That's Gruden, right? 2002? Yes. So they're going to be in a weird spot where – you know, all these teams are interviewing head coaches and they have the interim and they're going in the playoffs. This could be a very interesting game. If, if the Raiders win this and then they're like, well, we're in the divisional round. Like, can we fire this guy? I don't I don't know. But then you have, you know, all the rumors about Harbaugh waiting in the wings and stuff. I would imagine the Bengals have the upper hand because just remember what we saw against the Chargers, those 50 50 balls. Like it's not going to be Mike Williams after running. 14 deep deep routes in a row. It's going to be a fresh Jamar Chase. It's going to be a fresh T. Higgins. And I forgot whoever the guy opposite of Casey Hayward's name was, but um, he was not in a great position to make plays, and I think the Bengals are. And that's just what they do. I think they're going to be able to take advantage of the Raiders' secondary. So I can see Cincy dropping like 30 points in this one. I do think that if the Raiders somehow win a playoff game, like you got to have a long, hard look at Basaccia as your head coaching candidate. The players seem to love him and everything that he's overcome. I don't necessarily think that's the way you should go, but it's hard to just be like, all right, thanks for everything you did this season. Peace. We'll, we'll, we'll see you later. He went through a situation unlike any other coach. Like imagine everything that's happened with the Raiders this season and for them to overcome all of that and still make the playoffs. Yeah, they needed some help along the way, but which team didn't? So uh, you're ignoring a lot if you just say that Uh, for them to get a playoff win. It would be really hard for him uh, to have to walk away without, you know, at least um, he's going to get an interview. But I I would imagine he'd be closer to the favorite than that. The, The thing that makes me hesitate is you're not just keeping keeping the interim head coach you're Stop. keeping you're keeping the interim head coach plus you have Mayock as the general manager who's yeah, never right. really had like all that much power there you know so are are you just tossing the keys to the interim head coach or saying all right hey run the franchise now you you now are in charge of the Las Vegas Raiders kind of top to bottom i mean that's that's what would make me hesitate i guess So the one game in week 18 
that had by far the most implications, in my opinion, was this Indianapolis Colts Jacksonville Jaguars game. Because if the Colts somehow lost this football game, it was going to drastically affect the AFC playoff picture. And the Colts did just that. They were absolutely awful. Uh, Jacksonville sold out in this game to try to slow down Jonathan Taylor, and they were effective in that, and they did that for the most part. And they said, Carson Wentz, you got to beat us in week 18. You want to make it to the NFL postseason, then you got to beat us. We are one of the worst rosters in the NFL, and Carson Wentz could not put it together. It's... I, I don't necessarily like think it's a bummer. It's a bummer for a player like Jonathan Taylor, who's been so special this season, everything that he's accomplished. But we knew this about Carson Wentz. Like if the Colts got into the playoffs, teams were going to force Carson Wentz to be the guy that had to beat them. That was always going to be the game plan against this team. And Carson Wentz just cannot put it together. Now the Colts are in a weird situation where they can bring him back next year, but they're they've got kind of a window here where they've got young talented like superstar level players and they want to capitalize on that window i don't know if carson wentz is the guy but there's no long-term answer either and now you gave up a first round pick for him so the colts are in a weird position and then this all just kind of fell apart in week 18 i i'm just curious to see where they go from here i mean it seems like they're pretty handcuffed because of the quarterback situation and they have a lot of money tied up into their offensive line. So I don't know what direction they can go. They put a lot of chips in one basket, and it did not work out. Uh, it does suck just because they are a good team, and they proved that down the stretch. As far as the Jaguars go, I wonder how many teams in history have won as outright favorites when they were two touchdown underdogs or more because they did it against the Bills and the Colts. Two of who I think are still like the better teams in the AFC. I know the Colts are not in the playoffs, but think about it. In the second half of the season, they beat the Bills 41 to 15. They were neck and neck with a healthy Bucks team, 31-38. Um, they beat the Patriots on the road by 10 convincingly. They beat the Cardinals on the road by touchdown. They were going, they were beating good quality teams, but I mean, as you mentioned, Wentz just could not stop wincing, man. And that was all it took. And in this game, it wasn't as if the Jaguars won by a last second field goal. Like they won wire to wire. If you had no idea about the background of these two teams and you were just watching this game for the first time, you would have thought the Jags were the playoff team and the Colts were the team that was trying to play spoiler. But yeah, it was, it's tough to come out that flat and there's natural overreaction like so-and-so should be fired. But for a team that played as well as they did all season to come out like this against the Jaguars probably couldn't couldn't have scripted like a more disappointing ending for the Colts. But yeah, again, it, it's just tough because what they showed all season, you would have thought they would have been ready for this one. And uh, they were not, they were not at all. So $15 million of Carson Wentz's salary is already fully guaranteed this year. So they have a dead cap of $15 million next season. If they release him, that gives them about $13 million of cap relief. Um, the third day of the league year, the rest of his salary uh, guarantees. And then, you know, he has some roster bonus money too that's involved in that. So uh, they have a legitimate decision of, are we going to pay him $28 million to look like this? And they're already, you know, down a first round pick and $21 million from last year. Plus a third. I mean, it, it wasn't just, you know, a first round pick. It's a first and a third plus $21 million. I mean, that's a, Huge yeah, price tag for a guy like Carson Wentz. Um, I don't know, man. I don't see it. Um, I think I think what hurts Ballard the most is that he has always built that team to be, hey, they are in a great spot outside of quarterback. And at some point, it's, you know, uh, I don't know if I, I'm going to say it anyway. Shit or get off the pot, right? So you got to do one of them. You got to do one of them. And at some point you got to find your quarterback. And I think the window to find these quarterbacks was like that 2020, 2021 when it felt like there were too many quarterbacks on the board. And now you're looking at the 2022 draft and the Steelers are going to need a new quarterback. Washington needs a new quarterback. Indianapolis needs a new quarterback. Detroit doesn't. Yeah. Detroit doesn't have their quarterback. And you look at this draft class and there's not a lot of guys. So it's going to be guys like Teddy Bridgewater getting another shot. 
Jimmy Garoppolo getting another shot. And you could have had, you know, a Jameis Winston for what? He signed for like $5 million or something like that with the Saints, where it's like, dang, we, we should have made this move for the future a couple years ago, not now. I feel like after seeing Andrew Luck on that national championship broadcast <laughs> on Monday, Jim Irsay has just been blowing him up like all week long. He's, he's just probably like, blocked Irsay. <laughs> yeah, he's Andrew. You look healthy, Andrew. Look like you've been working out. How's the arm feeling? You look like you've been working out. You see, Andrew? <laughs> no, he's he's out. He's out. One one of my best buddies, uh, Sam Schwartzstein, was his center at Stanford. And Andrew is retired. Retired. He is not coming back. The Colts uh, made a multi-year investment in Carson Wentz. That is the issue here. They didn't just bet on him for one year. They're betting on him for multiple years, man. How do you do that as an organization? That 2022 how- first round pick is going to hurt them through 2025. Yeah. yeah. You Yes. <laughs> yeah, man. And that's, um, that, that's what to bring it back to what you said, Justice. Like, Chris Ballard has done this thing the right way for several years. And for several years, it was like Colts got a ton of cap space. They keep moving back in the draft and acquiring draft picks. And they weren't really spending money for a long time. And then it was like, okay, now you've got talent. You keep acquiring these draft picks and you're building up the roster. But what are you going to do at quarterback? And then it kind of felt like it came to a point where there was like a panic. And it was like. Well, I know Carson Wentz because I was his coach in Philly. Let's go get Carson Wentz. And then they paid too much for Carson Wentz. And now they're just kind of stuck. And, and I don't know where the Colts go from here because it's it, it just you, you've got a ceiling uh, of where you can be as a football team with that dude as your quarterback. And, and it feels like this is kind of the ceiling, like a fringe playoff team. Like that's basically what you are. So in the draft this year, they tried to build around DeForest Buckner. Then they got two edge rushers with their first uh, two picks. They both finished with five and a half sacks on the season. Um, I don't know what you how you felt about Quiddy Pay coming out, Justice, but um, it, it just didn't seem like he was going to be able to make that instant impact compared to some of the other edge rushers available. And then the guy from Vanderbilt they took, he was just going to be a long shot. So uh, their investments and in the, the – they rolled the dice on certain things. Obviously, once was another one, and none of them really panned out. So, yeah, Ballard, he does have to look himself in the mirror and just make some really tough decisions. And I do not envy them because he is in a position to where, I mean, it doesn't look like they're going to pay off, man. The San Francisco 49ers are going to take on the Dallas Cowboys in Wild Card Weekend. I, I think that is the game of the week. Uh, I, I'm really excited about that contest. And the Niners got in from some late game heroics from Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Sean McVay had never lost a game when leading at halftime as an NFL head coach. That is no longer the case after the Niners came back and won that football game in overtime to secure their playoff spot. KP, I know Jimmy G has limitations and I think that he holds this offense back, but at the end of the day, like, Debo Samuel was absolutely incredible in this game. Uh, Elijah Mitchell is a stud rookie running back. George Kittle is incredible. Brandon Ayuk, I think, is a playmaker. Like This Niners team, despite their shortcomings with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, is still a team that I think needs to be feared in the playoffs. Sean McVay was up 17 to nothing, ran onto the field in the end zone, and celebrated with his team like he had just won the Super Bowl. They scored one touchdown after that. They gave up 24 points after that. It was such a frat boy meathead move. And you cannot tell me that the other team who has beaten him five times in a row didn't take notice in that. Uh, Jimmy G was clutch, man. He had a couple boneheaded throws. He fumbled the ball. He does this every game. We are used to this. This is nothing new. Um, At the same time, got points at the end of the half, got points at the end of the game to tie, let it drive. He has playmakers all over the field. If he just plays point guard with the weapons that they have, they are very, very difficult to beat. If he just gets the ball out time and hits guys in stride, things go well. And that's what happened. You mentioned Brandon Ayuk. He went over 100 yards for the first time. Juwan Jennings had by far and away his best game of his career. Uh, 94 yards, breaking tackles, converting third downs. Six-round rookie Elijah Mitchell, uh, when he plays, this offense is just so much better. So they did all of this without Trent Williams, and a lot of that is because guys like Depot, guys like Elijah Mitchell are running through tackles. Mitchell broke eight tackles. And then you have to give credit to the other side of the ball. Like Matthew Stafford went 
God mode in the first half, and he was not missing at all. There were plays where they were where they needed to be in position on defense, and still Cup would complete the pass or staff would complete the pass to Cup. Um, what we ignored a lot of that it was so the defense line was still getting pressure, and that never stopped even as the 49ers kept scoring on offense. So two turnovers was the difference in that game from Stafford. And yeah, just like one of the more exciting games you could possibly see, like the chess match going back and forth. Uh, the stars were out all over the place. But eventually, uh, the Fort- the Rams could not sustain, you know, their YOLO passes. And the 49ers were able to, you know, do what they usually do and just have big plays. And that was pretty much the difference. But I think the perception of, of both teams are a little off. And I think that their true color showed at the end. I think stats put it in a really good uh, way on the Tuesday pod. I was listening to it last night. He said, Jimmy Garoppolo is a firefighter who's also an arsonist, right? <laughs> that, that That's the situation that he's in right now. Um, I, I think that was probably, you know, end of game. That's the best Jimmy's ever looked. At the it's his best game of his life. Yes. That, and, and it's always dangerous having that game right before the playoffs and then having everyone assume like, hey, that's who Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be. But, you know, this Dallas Cowboys matchup is going to be really fun. Um, I think there's plenty of flaws with that Cowboys team right now, starting with Dak hasn't looked right in a long time. Um, and then, you know, him him missing Gallup. And then, you know, the overarching theme of just, hey, Mike McCarthy in the playoffs, right? That's that's all going to be a factor. The, the one thing I will say about this past game, I, I just – don't know what you're getting out of this Rams team. And I don't know what the ceiling is. And I don't know what it's going to look like moving forward, just even beyond this team. I don't think that this Rams team is necessarily built to win the Super Bowl. But, like, going into 2022, what what does this look like? Because you're already capped out in terms of, like, you're paying stars all of this money. Aaron Donald is taking so much. Jalen Ramsey's taking so much. Matthew Stafford's taking so much. Like, how does this really get – better and they just signed uh who is it eric weddle they just brought yeah, eric come back. back from retirement at like 37 years old to play safety for him like okay all right that's something i guess i i just feel better about this san francisco team kind of moving forward even knowing like their quarterback situation is going to change over than uh this rams team to me so you brought up their offense stafford was amazing on sunday and despite those two interceptions, Cooper Cup was probably better than amazing. Odell Beckham was locked down on the outside. but So that's their offense. They have stars. They are very limited on what they can do on offense, both in the running game and the passing game. And I think against a quality playoff team like the 49ers, that came to fruition. So a lot of times when they're running, so they're in the shotgun, and all you have to do is offset your strength to their running back, and you can stop their running game. That's what the 49ers did. There was one play where they're trying to run zone read with Stafford, and they're like, who in the world is going to respect him to keep the ball? And that's what McVay was doing. And, of course, those plays ended in, like, gains of one, gains of two. And now you're in third and long. Now you're hoping Stafford can make those yellow passes down the field. And that's he did a couple of times, but that's just not sustainable. So um, they're, they're a little too predictable. And there's not a – I don't know. It, they're just not rolling in the right way that you would expect. And that's been the case kind of the last few games. And I know they've been winning, but – I mean, if you look at their opponent and you look at how they've been winning and kind of the score, it just never really seemed like they were as good as their record indicated. So, yeah, I do feel like both of these teams are churning in the opposite directions. So San Francisco just moving forward, right, if we're talking about them in terms of their strengths, a lot of people say, well, Jimmy, Jimmy is the one issue for them. How about that right side of the offensive line? Because I remember that Packers game. I mean, the interior was getting at, Alex Mack, who doesn't look like, you know, all pro level Alex Mack anymore. Brunskill at right guard was very bad. I mean, he's probably 280 pounds, which is very light for an NFL guard at this point. Um, You know, just look across the league. And then at right tackle, they've kind of had a rotating cast, right? So is that something that teams can take advantage of if they have a strong defensive line that they can go after those guys? So what you're hoping for is you just get the ball out in 2.5 seconds or whatever, and your stars make plays. There's one play that sticks out of my head. So the Rams run like the most elementary creeper blitz of all time. So creeper, first level defensive end, he's dropping off. The middle linebacker is blitzing. What happened is the right tackle was blocking a defensive end. He sees the creeper come late. Alex Mack is the center. He's sliding the other way. He doesn't see him. 
The guy blocking somebody sees him, stops blocking this guy, goes and block, tries to block that guy. That's not how it works in any level of football. So they now have two guys coming at Jimmy unblocked instead of one, um, both Mac and Compton, who is the right tackle now. Um, they, I don't know what they're doing a lot of times, and the same goes for the right guard. But those you're able to overlook a lot of those plays. And I don't want to say a lot because it doesn't happen that often, but they're able to get away with those players playing because they have Kittle, because they have Debo, because they have a because they're getting these 20 yard type plays. But there's no doubt about it, especially against a team like the Cowboys who have speed up front and can really make you pay that they they're probably going to, you know, have one of those boneheaded plays where it ends up in a sack or a disastrous sack fumble that the 49ers were very fortunate to recover. Yeah, I was gonna say you just you just get it to your yak gods on on the outside where Debo Samuel just looks like the best running back in football. Now they got him throwing passes too. <laughs> he really might be, and I'm not joking at all when I say that. He is unreal what he's able to do. Yeah, he he's been absolutely incredible. And you know, t- talking about the Rams, they are going to take on the Arizona Cardinals on monday night edition of super wild card weekend or whatever the hell we're calling it we've got a playoff game on monday night football for some reason <laughs> money yeah uh like i i don't feel any different uh than the way we've talked about the rams over the last couple of weeks as you guys mentioned like I, I do think they're getting predictable and i think that when stafford is on and everybody's getting open they're really fun to watch but then when it's struggling he he kind of makes some bad decisions I want to take a look at the Arizona Cardinals, though. Like They had a chance to win the division heading into Sunday if the Rams lost, and they beat the Seattle Seahawks, but they did not beat the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> they, they dropped four of their final five games to end the year, but they do have a win over the Dallas Cowboys in there. It was that one game that they won in their last five. So this game, obviously, NFC West, you know, Third time between these two teams, we're going to see them. They split the season series, but I, I think this is actually a really good matchup for the Rams to advance out of Wild Card Weekend because I just don't think the Cardinals have it right now. Like I, I just think they they struggled too much down the stretch, and teams kind of started to figure them out. I know they don't have DeAndre Hopkins; they might have JJ Watt back soon. We'll, we'll see how that goes, but he hasn't been there since early in the season. I, I just don't have any faith in the Arizona Cardinals right now. Their numbers with Watt on the field and without Watt are just staggering, man. They go from, like, I believe 23rd in defensive EPA allowed per play in the last half of the season, and they were, like, top three across the board with Watt on the field for the first seven weeks. Um, Does that win over the Cowboys say more about Dallas or more about Arizona? I think that's maybe a question that we need to ask because I don't know which version of Dallas we're going to get this Saturday or Sunday. I don't know which version of Arizona we're going to get on Monday. And you could probably say that about the Rams and the 49ers too. Like all of these teams can be very good and then can just look like, what are you doing on the very next play? Which kind of makes it exciting. But I think we're getting a good game from Kyler Murray, who Justice hates for some reason. I think, I don't know. Um, I just like to see him win a game after uh, Thanksgiving. I didn't mean that. <laughs> you know, he's good with me. Um, what's Cliff Kingsbury going to do in his first playoff game, man? Like, is he going to pull a rabbit out of his hat? Is he going to all of a sudden start making these wise decisions. What's Sean McVay going to do? Because it's not like he's been lighting the world on fire with some decisions that he's made either. So um, you, the familiarity does make a difference. And I think that will, you know, we'll see better, better performances on both sides. But I don't know who to pick in this game. I don't know what to make of either of these teams. I honest, I know that their record indicates that they are good. I would not say that they are good when I watch them, though. And I know that they are talented as well. But if I'm if I'm ranking the NFC teams, these would be the two. Well, that's not true. The Eagles exist, but <laughs> these two are down there as well. And uh, because of that, I would ugh, I don't know which direction to go here. Kyler Murray, seven and fifteen from November on in his NFL <laughs> career. December on through January, five yards per attempt over fifteen games in his NFL career. Steve, I'm taking Kyler now. I got the Cardinals. (laughs) This happens every time. This happens every time. The other thing, too, that I worry about a lot, and, you know, you you said their defense has kind of fallen off a little bit, which is fair. But a lot of people will just look at the season-long stats and say, hey, Arizona's a defensive team. They've always been a defensive team. It's it's totally fine. They had guys like – so week 16, Joe Walker played 30 snaps on the defensive side of the ball. They basically benched their first-round pick, Zayvon Collins. Yeah, that's been Joe Walker got got released 
yesterday. Like, oh. they're still doing stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, they're still trying to figure stuff out, you know, on the defensive side of the ball. So it's not like this is the 85 Bears. Like, that's that's not the defense that we're talking about right now. So I, I still – I worry a lot about this Cardinals team. I think this Rams team, just because they're steady, um, you know, they're in a better spot. I mean, the Cardinals have lost, what, four of their last five games? And it's not like they've been playing against great teams either. I mean, they spotted – they got they got spotted a score by Seattle like immediately in that game. Seattle's not a good team. They lost to uh, the Detroit Lions on the road. That the one win was a three point win against the Dallas Cowboys. I don't like it like that. That first so let's think about this game from the two Rams matchups. Right, the first Rams matchup. The, the I think the overwhelming takeaway was Stafford had a bunch of guys open and he uncharacteristically miss guys that didn't happen the second game and, and, the Rams and Kyler didn't winning. like that they dropped 37 right. they just had pretty much everything go their way that game right so I don't know I, I I think this looks more like the second Rams matchup a whole lot more than that first Rams matchup especially considering where these teams are at I mean unless you know Weddle is starting this game and he just completely does not look right and you're like wait you signed this guy off of the couch like outside of that, I, I feel pretty good about this Rams team, honestly. Yeah, I, I think that's where I'm at heading into this game. Like it feels like it was years ago that the Arizona Cardinals were the last undefeated team in football and looked like they were, you know, one of the more balanced, like top to bottom teams in the NFL. They just haven't been that down the back half of the season. And I know they've had some injuries and stuff like that. It's just it, it feels like they feels like they were kind of overperforming early in the season and now they've kind of come back down to earth a little bit. So we'll see how it plays out. Uh, I still think they're a good football team, but I would tend to lean with the Rams too. Let's take a quick time out. Uh, but when we get back on NFL university, going to dive in to the new England Patriots week 18 performance against the Miami dolphins, as well as the Buffalo bills taking down the jets as they will face off for a third time this season on wildcard weekend. It's coming up next. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I have some exciting news for you, class. Your time starts now. NFL. Crash course? This doesn't happen very often. You're going to enjoy this one. Welcome back into NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride, joined as always by Kyle Posey of Niners Nation, as well as Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co., the Patriots and Bills will take each other on for the third time this season. They obviously split their season series. 
Going into this game, I don't have a lot of faith in either of these two teams offensively, but I think the biggest takeaway I have from the New England Patriots, at least down the stretch, was kind of the question that we had all year long. The Patriots can play defense, they don't make a lot of mistakes, and they can run the football. But once you get into the postseason and you put the ball in the hands of rookie quarterback Mac Jones and you force him to beat you, is he going to be able to do that? And while Mac Jones has had a nice rookie season, I think right now the answer is just no. Like I, I don't think you have very much faith in him being able to go win you a playoff game. That's going to be tough. So I don't know how much stock you can put into last week against the Dolphins just because there's – I mean – I don't know how much they really had to play for. This one is going to be for all the marbles, though. And I think that Bill Belichick is going to come in. And I think they're going to be a lot more aggressive than people think with Mac Jones. I don't think they're going to sit back and run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, as they did in the first meeting. And I know the weather dictated that. But I actually like this matchup for them. And I would imagine this is a team that, you know, Bill Belichick probably wanted to play, knowing that they just have familiarity with the Bills. Um I think their defense is going to have to do, you know, just a much better job. Josh Allen can't go, you know, Superman, obviously. Um, I think the, I think I like the Patriots. I, I don't know if they're going to win, but I think they're going to keep it a lot closer than people imagine. If I were a betting man, I would bet on the Patriots four and a half. But um, I don't know. I, I think to just to your question, I like the idea of Mac Jones going against the Bills, knowing that he can pretty much just live on play action passes. He's, he's going to have to push the ball down the field a little bit more than he has. Um, but I just, I think he's going to be up for the moment. Um, just knowing how he's been in other, in other games uh, when they needed him to make play. I, I imagine he's going to step it up for them. Justice, what do you think? The, the one big worry I have, and that first new England Buffalo matchup, I think you could throw it out because there were so many unique things that happened. I mean, Mac threw three passes. Like, that's not a normal NFL game in a blizzard. Like, that's simply not going to happen again. Um, the the second Buffalo matchup I thought was interesting because their answer was basically just, we're going to press the crap out of these wide receivers, and you don't have enough speed to make up the difference, and Mac Jones doesn't have the arm to make up the difference. So if we just basically take away quick passing game and load up the box to stop the run, we can outscore you. And – they proved that on tape. So why why would they change that moving forward? And have the Patriots come up with any answers since then? I don't know. I mean, that that's my big hesitation with New England. I thought, you know, kind of like that third quarter of, of the season, right, where you started seeing a lot of this Patriots momentum kind of build up. I felt a whole lot better about that team than after the Buffalo game, after the Miami game. I know they didn't have that much to play for, but still, I mean, they, they lost to Tua, who, by the way, we haven't even touched the uh, Brian Flores thing, which is just crazy to me. I mean, it sounds like they basically chose Tua over their head coach because their head coach blew up on Tua in the locker room, and that seems fine to me. I mean, they're like, yeah, he yelled at Tua at halftime because he was saying, you know, we got to get more production out of the quarterback spot. How dare he? What? (laughs) Like, who, who disagrees with that? There's like 15 Dolphins fans on Twitter who disagree with that. That's it. <laughs> two anons? The two anons. Yeah, exactly. That That's a weird move. And then the fact that the owner came out so quickly and said, you know, I'm not going to be the guy to take Harbaugh from Michigan because, you know, he's a big UM uh, booster. I, I don't get it. So who are you going to bring right. in? You're just so you're the, the pre-qualification for this job in Miami now is, hey, tell me how much you love Tua. And I think that's very uh opposite like you just should not be operating oh. that way why Plus the fact that, like, leech? what has he well, done to deserve this type of leash well the other thing too is why is greer still there greer's the guy he who's missing him, all right? these draft picks yeah. where you're like yeah tua he might not pan out austin jackson first round tackle he looks like he shouldn't even belong in the league at some sometimes like he's the guy like you can only do so much as the head coach you know didn't, didn't flores go out of his way to say he wanted herbert <laughs> Well, the yeah. So the the way the story works is the coaching staff wanted not a quarterback is what it's out. And there's a bunch of different guys in the coaching staff. This is a staff. fireball offense. Yeah. Well, the coaching staff didn't want a quarterback because they said, you know, we want to build everything else before the quarterback. The front office wanted Justin Herbert and ownership wanted Tua. 
and ownership got to her. But I, I had thought the, the leash had been extended to the point where Tua was able to trip over himself. And we, you could go back to the owner and say, hey, we, we need to make a different decision at quarterback, which they obviously try to do at the deadline with Deshaun Watson. It's not like, hey, you know, Miami hasn't been active in trying to replace Tua. But the fact that now Tua seems to have the most job security out of anyone in Miami seems very weird to me. How did we get here? It is shocking when, yeah, there was the Dolphins were the front runner to go get Deshaun Watson. And now we're blowing up coaching regimes for Tua because maybe maybe it's because Brian Flores won eight games in a row or seven games in a row or however many it was. And they were like, see, Tua can do it. Like we got all this faith in Tua now. And that inevitably led to Brian Flores downfall, which doesn't make any sense. Cause I think it has a lot more to do with Brian Flores being a good head coach and actually putting it together with the roster that they had is the season went on. They were, they were over 500 after that year where everyone thought that they were the worst team they had ever seen, you know, through September. Remember they were on pace to break all those point differential records. Mika Fitzpatrick was like, get me out of town. I can't have film of me looking like this when the pass rush is like, you know, AAF and XFL guys up front. Right. So I don't know. I, I think he did a really good job, and I think he's going to be a head coach in the next, if not this cycle, the next two cycles. He'll spend another year in New England or something like that and then get the oh. tap on the shoulder to take over a job. But he's gonna why wouldn't – yeah, why, why wouldn't, like, the Giants just hire him immediately? You want to talk about completely changing the culture and having that turnover in the front office? I know Flores had some mistakes, you know, in terms of the offensive coordinator thing and having – Two offensive coordinators looks goofy and all, all that, but he had two at quarterback. I mean, I don't know. It, everything is relative to Tua, and if your perception of Tua is he is an NFL starter, then nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense. So I guess that's how you end up firing Brian Flores, but he's just not that guy. So the only reason that all this Deshaun Watson stop, uh, all this Deshaun Watson topic stop, obviously for Watson's case, but the Dolphins were like in line to be a top five pick before this fraudulent winning streak when they started beating the Jake Fromms and the Taylor Heine, like the quarterbacks who will not be around for very much longer. That's who they were beating. And that's the only reason they were winning and that we're not talking about the Dolphins having, you know, a higher pick. But I think as far as Flores goes, he goes to, I mean, I don't want to say a team like the Vikings because I don't know how long Kirk Cousins is going to be there. Go to a team that has their offense established. If he can do that. And the reason that the Vikings come to mind because he is a, secondary guy so he goes to a team who needs uh, you know their defense they need a change they need guys who actually know what they're doing know how to coach them and he doesn't have to worry about bringing in offensive coordinators he doesn't have to worry about bringing in a quarterback or you know that just an offensive scheme in general so maybe that's the bears but yeah I i just imagine flores's next stop is going to be so much better than this because he's not going to go to a team that is terrible. Like the Dolphins were not good when he took them over. And look at them now. Look at the talent that they have now compared to when he took over. They are much better, and they still have a long way to go. But, yeah, I think um, I'm looking forward to his next his next job because I think he's going to hit out of the park. Speaking of the Vikings, you guys seen the uh, Lane Kiffin Vikings rumors? Oh, boy. No. No. I can't, believe, I can't believe that. Uh, Mike Ryan, uh, Mike Ruiz from uh, – the Levitard show said it first, and then some people have uh, come out of the woodwork and said that they have been hearing it too. But what a weird matchup. So, like, the whole thought is, like, Lane Kiffin went to high school in Minnesota. So then he oh. wants to go back to Minnesota. And I'm like, whoa. So this is a coach's son who's been bou- – he's bounced around everywhere, right? Yeah. And he has no ties, really, to the Vikings organization. They just fired their GM. This was a guy who was begging for the University of Miami job when University of Miami was still like not, you know, funded to to go, you know, nuclear level with uh, Mario Cristobal. And now he's going to get an NFL. uh, He's going to get an NFL gig because of where he went to high school. And you're going to hire him before you hire the GM. Like none of this makes sense. Like this sounds like literally a message board rumor started by Lane Kiffin. Yeah, uh, you that, probably have a better chance of leaking him to the Raiders. And he was the and Raiders' that's, freaking that's coach. Not ha- yeah, no, of that's course. Not I'm happening. saying that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, like, it, it's not going to happen. It's 
but but it also like wouldn't be shocking just because Lane Kiffin did the, did what coaches do like they leave in disgrace went and had some successful years in college and kind of rebuilt this thing and now people are back on the Lane Kiffin train and then it would make sense for him to like come back to the NFL I don't know why you'd want to go to Minnesota like yeah I mean it, it's a it's a good job and they've got some talent on that team but Minnesota's freezing too that would play a factor into whether or not I wanted to take that job look here's the thing. If Lane Kiffin goes to Minnesota and they run that Baylor offense with Kirk Cousins and they have to play road games at, at Soldier Oof. Field, at Lambeau Field, Let's it's it. it's not it's not going well. It's not going well for anyone involved. That's the only reason why the Bengals should not fire Zach Taylor and hire Lane Kiffin. The only reason. I guess while we're while we're talking about coaches, we can go ahead and get our takes off on Joe Judge. We've been hard on <laughs> Joe Judge all season. Rip Bozo on this podcast. He's a terrible head coach. I personally think that he was trying to get fired down the stretch there because after it was reported that they were keeping him, he started doing the the press conference stuff, making up stories, and then they just totally mailed it in in week eighteen where. He's doing quarterback sneaks uh, on third and nine from their own five yard line. And then uh, the Giants president, John Mara, who met with the media today, was super weird about it. They wouldn't allow anybody to broadcast the press conference live on on television or on radio or, or social media or anything. And, you know, he was just like kind of backtracking on things he had already said about Joe judge and just, you know, we're, we're sorry it came to this. And this is the situation that we found ourselves in. It's the best decision that they've made in years in that New York giants organization is moving on from Joe judge under no circumstance. Could you have kept that dude as your head coach moving forward? Unfortunately, the great decision of firing Joe judge will be undone by keeping Daniel Jones around. And this will all be a wash because they're going to give him a fat extension. Um, well, why? Like, why do why do we even have to get here? To like, why did it? Why did Judge get this much time? Is the real question. Uh, they were they were cons- the fact that they were considering keeping him um, is a just a question in itself. But I imagine we talked about this before we got on. The odds of GMs asking, "Will I have to work with Joe Judge for them to get for the team to get them in the building?" Probably played a big factor in that. Uh, factor in that. Um, also, just the Giants, look at what they've done. Look at the direction that they've gone. Every player that they've brought in, it just doesn't seem like there's been much of – like they're not marrying the pieces together. So I don't know what direction they head next. Again, we talked about the quarterbacks. What are they going to do? Because they they just brought in Kenny Galladay, who was just an afterthought. They drafted Kadarius Tony, who, again, you can't do much when you don't have a person who can throw the ball. And Daniel Jones – He's a great athlete. He's a much better athlete than give him credit for. He can run, but they don't really run him like that. So that defeats the purpose and he cannot throw the ball. So um, I love Patrick Graham. I love what they did on defense. Just don't know what to make of the Giants. I, and I don't, I don't have faith in them moving forward. And I think this is a pretty bad job, honestly, because Gettleman did such a bad job in terms of stocking talent and getting ROI on these retired. contracts. Oh, sorry. He retired. He didn't get oh, yeah. canned. My bad. Yeah, so did Gruden. Right? I like, I like how they, they gave him like a send off too. <laughs> right, like, right. like, oh, Dave, after his storied NFL career, is stepping away from the game. Oh goodness gracious! I, I again, I think this is a bad job. You know, aside, aside from making fun of Joe Judge for having a Southern accent when he went to Catholic school in a Philly suburb, right? You look at the Jaguars; they have Trevor. The Chicago Bears have Fields. The Vikings. You could say what you want about Kirk. At the very worst, he's an average NFL quarterback is very frustrating, and you have some blue chippers on the defensive side. The Broncos have a ton of talent outside of quarterback, and the Raiders are a solid football team. I mean, they're in the damn playoffs right now. So I think Miami's a toxic situation because Tua is – one, you get Tua and you get him tied to the owner, and two, you have a general manager who's already playing a political battle and won it over the last head coach. That's a toxic situation. Outside of that, outside of the Dolphins, I think the Giants are the next worst job, you know? So I don't even know what type of candidates they should be able to kind of attract. I know it's it's New York. The Giants have been a respectable franchise up to this point. They're in, like, the worst spot, you know, the franchise has ever been in terms of consecutive losing seasons and to the extent of how bad they've been losing. But it, I, 
I don't know if it's a good job at all because you still have you have Daniel Jones. You don't have very much cap space. Um, you're getting two first round picks. Okay, cool. Um, but outside of that, I mean, moving forward, there's there's a lot of work to be done. And I think this is anyone who's taking this Giants job, you're not expecting to win year one. You're expecting to build year one and then hopefully win year two, right? So what I was going to say is I imagine it's going to be like a first-time GM, first-time head coach. They're going to have a long leash, like three, four years to get it right or at least hit on some picks. Maybe they throw some of those first-rounders at Russell Wilson. You know, I that would be the best bet. I don't what? know. You're, Russ is old. Russ is I, like 35, right? Not disagreeing with you at all. I'm saying look at what their other options are as opposed to what they could put on the field next year. You would rather have Russell Wilson at age 47 than Daniel Jones at whatever age he is right now. So, again, just thinking outside the box, trying to see how they could potentially compete. Like, that's all they have to do is compete. They're going into games where they just have no chance of scoring 14 points, man. And that's really tough to win when you can do that or when you play like that. Yeah, I think there's going to be somebody who says, well, I remember Kenny Galladay from his time with the Lions. Like he, He's a playmaker. Kadarius Toney looks like a, a young playmaker. Saquon Barkley, I could get the most out of Saquon Barkley. Like There's going to be somebody who talks themselves into those offensive weapons and thinks that they, they could turn it around. But I, I do agree that it's, it's a bad job. Uh, it, it screams... Bill O'Brien, who is getting some interviews. So no! I wouldn't be shocked if the Giants went with Bill O'Brien or somebody like that. Saban rehab, baby, just like Lane Kiffin. Oh, my God. I can't believe the Bill O'Brien stuff, man. We just completely forget who this guy was after a year. Saban rehab. It's a real thing. Bill yeah. O'Brien's general manager took a leave of absence in Houston because his wife was fighting cancer. And he won a political battle over that guy. And then he crapped the bat against the Kansas City Chiefs in a way that we've basically never seen before. And then they kind of did that against Georgia. I mean, if you're talking about offensive production, I know they were down two <laughs> wide receivers, but there's that video. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. But look, they, they choked. Um, Bill O'Brien, that, that video of him in the, in the box for the national championship game, doing the <laughs> damn Skeletor yelling at the universe thing. Like, dude. I, the, I think the reason Bill O'Brien's getting floated for a lot of this stuff is Saban is like, I would like a new offensive coordinator and I would like to not fire you. So how about we find you another gig? Yeah, I feel like that's what he does every time he wants to get rid of somebody. Right. Make some phone calls to the NFL. Hey, you want this dude? Take him off my hands. We, well, that's we're, what we're Belichick did with Judge, right? That's yeah. what people are saying. They're like, hey, by the way, did you know Joe Judge is ready to be an NFL head coach? Like, hey, come take this guy. Jeez, man. By the way, the uh, Patriots special teams right now, number one in the league, looking very good. Oh, so, so it wasn't Joe Judge. Weird. Huh. So before we get out of here, we have to talk about this because it might be the final time we ever get to do it. Ben Roethlisberger is on his way to Kansas City this week to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, the Steelers, you know, they beat the Baltimore Ravens and they get help from the Indianapolis Colts losing and the Chargers and Raiders not tying. Uh, but it's still Ben and he's still just totally holding this offense back and, and it looks really, really ugly. The Chiefs just crushed the Steelers a few weeks ago, 36 to 10. And then Ben Roethlisberger in his press conference today is playing the underdog card now, like the Jeez, the Brady, nobody believes in us. The Kansas There's City a reason Chiefs, for that. <laughs> the Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. And so I'm sure he – I think he actually said, I'm sure they're favored to beat us by like 20 points or something. But He said we don't have a chance. Cool. Yes. Like, so we don't have a chance, so. I mean – it's I I've been trying to spend this week because I know everybody's take is going to be, they don't have a chance. I've been trying to explain to myself, like what is the catastrophic situation it would take for them to have a chance in, in this playoff game. And it's like barring a Patrick Mahomes injury. There's no way this team's going to score enough to win this football game. They're like Jackson Mahomes gets multiple people out. arrested. <laughs> like Minka Fitzpatrick has to have 27 interceptions TJ Watt has to have 14 sacks they have to be lights out on that side of the ball so the Steelers offense 
it is just a mess. And everybody knows that, but I don't think people are aware of how bad they are. So the second half of this season, since week 11, they are 25th in EPA per play on offense. They are 24th in offensive success rate. They're the only team in the playoffs that have a net negative success rate. That is not good. There's no way that your offense should be that poor with the weapons that they have. Like they have good players on offense, but there is this one guy that they have who just, I mean, what are we doing here, man? There's there's just not much you can do with Big Ben. And I, I, I'm interested to see how Spags plays them. I'm just to see if he just goes all out. Hey, if you want to throw the ball down the field every now and then, so be it. But I think, I mean, you, you see his passing charts. The internet laughs at his passing charts every week because they're the same thing over and over and over again. He, he does still manage to keep the games close, but I think that's more so just the team and Tomlin being prepared. But um, is, it, is there a chance that this game ends up being like 16-3, just sloppy and ugly because it is the Steelers and because Tomlin will likely have his guys prepared just being a road dog? Or are we going to see more of the 35-3, 38-3, whatever it was a couple of weeks ago where it just looked like um, an NFL team against a high school team? If it's the like 13-10 version of this game, I don't feel about I don't feel good about the AFC beating whoever makes it out of the NFC. Oh, there is what, what I'll say. Um, because this Chiefs team should be able to dominate them. I mean, the the weird thing about this is from a SPAC's perspective, how how different do you treat Ben Roethlisberger than SPAC's treated Jordan Love? Where you just press the hell out of him and you're like, he can't complete the deep throw. Right. So we're just going to take away quick game stuff and we're just going to be right there, hat on a hat and sending blitzes. Like that seems like a way that it would work. I thought the Steelers team waved the white flag when mid season, their offensive line coach left for the university of Oregon to take a lateral job, you know, cause it seemed like he was going to get canned. I thought that was the situation. So I don't know, man, like do Steelers fans even feel good about watching this game? Like eh, we had a good moment. You know, we, 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 we wave goodbye. To Ben Roethlisberger, if you're a Ben Roethlisberger fan, I am personally not. But if you're a Ben Roethlisberger fan and you have, you know, 15 years of memories tied into him, you know, you you wave goodbye. And then they had an upset win, you know, in the last week or not an upset win, but they won the last week of the season. That seemed like a fair cap off. And now, you know, probably that Sunday night game, you're rooting for anything against the tie. You know, you had your heart pumping a little bit. And you're like, yeah, we get to see the play, the Steelers in the playoffs. And now I just want to know what you feel like. Because this doesn't, if I were a Steelers fan, I would not be having fun right now thinking about this game. Steve, you're a Chiefs fan. Like, are you confident in this game? Are you overconfident in this game? Are we putting too much emphasis on what just happened a few weeks ago when the Chiefs kicked, like, they just punched them in the mouth for four quarters, and that's how it went down? Or do you think we're going to see something different this time around? Well, I, I feel overconfident in this game because, but like, that's how I feel whenever I go into a game. I'm like, oh, they'll crush that team because that's how I feel about this game. And the reason I feel confident is because, like, we just went through 18 weeks of it. The Steelers aren't changing their offensive approach because sure. that's how they have to play. It's, Ben's not learning new tricks. Yeah. No. Like, I don't like, I, I mean, maybe Ben's really saving the arm for the playoff. Run, <laughs> and he's just been doing that all season just, just to save it up for the, for the home stretch. But I, I don't think he's got anything left in it. And the way the Chiefs went against that a few weeks ago was just, hey, Dan Sorensen. Not good in deep coverage, but Dan Sorensen's a decent tackler, so let's play with him around the line of scrimmage a little bit more. Lajarius Sneed, really good tackler. Let's play around with him around the line of scrimmage. And Tyron Matthew, let's put those guys just up in the box, try to slow down their short, quick passing game, and just blow Ben up with our front. And that's, I think, is just exactly what they're going to do because I don't think they're going to change their approach in any way. Yeah, the weaknesses of the Chiefs do not match up well for what the Steelers need to do. And then you flip it around. The Steelers are known to give up just like big plays left and right in the secondary. They're going against Patrick Mahomes. That does not bode well for them. So I and you, Steve, you would know this better than I. Um, is Tyreek still hobbled? Is Kelsey, you know, uh, close to 100 percent? Because that would be the only reason that I would think this game would be close. I remember last game uh, the Chiefs played. Tyreek stayed out there even after he was like hobbling. He was limping a little bit, but he never really left the field. And it didn't totally seem to affect him. I believe they threw him the ball on the next play. Do you remember around the point of the game where I'm talking about? So, yeah, he 
Tyreek got that heel injury like in pregame warmups last week, but he's been kind of he's got had some, you know, bruises and, and injuries and stuff that he's kind of been battling all season. Um, but he was a full participant in practice today. And Andy Reid said that he's fine. And they said Travis Kelsey's fine. So and Kelsey's kind of been the same way this season, like not necessarily on the injury report, but just had some kind of like lingering small issues that they're not really. He's looked better over the last month, like very yeah. clearly, like even the Packers game and stuff like that. Like he he looks night and day compared to where he was. He was on the COVID season. list, right? Yeah. And so he so. didn't play. Yeah, that's another right. thing. He also didn't play in the first matchup against the Steelers because <laughs> he was on the COVID list. So Travis Kelsey wasn't even in this game. That was that was when Mahomes just distributed it to everybody and everybody had a good game that day. So, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Uh, we had to send off Big Ben one more time. I, I don't think that he's going to have a huge performance in wildcard weekend. Sorry, Steelers. But appreciate you guys listening to another edition of NFL University. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review everything that we are doing on the SB Nation NFL show. You can also review on Spotify now, so please make sure you're doing that for us. Get our numbers up over there. You can follow KP on Twitter at KP underscore show. You can follow Justice at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm Steven Serta. That's where you can find me. We'll talk to you guys next week ahead of the divisional round. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.